Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale October 19th, 2022, and I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. I wanted to quickly just welcome everybody who's joining us for the first time post-New York Comic Con. I know we had a lot of, you know, signage and a bunch of uh, stuff going on over at the Marvel booth. And so I'm, I'm sure we have a bunch of new people listening uh, to Marvel's Pull List for the first time. And I just wanted to welcome you guys. Yeah, it was it was great. We we had a big thing on the board for on the, the Marvel stage for all of our podcasts. So if you're just joining us, let us know. Send us an email. Yeah. Send us a tweet. Say hi. We love you. Yeah, we're friendly. One thing we want to make sure everybody does, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. Give us five stars. Give us all the positive reaffirmation you can yes. dish out, please. Yes. It gets us up on the charts and introduces us to new people. Outside of that, tell your friends. Um, Jasmine, mm-hmm. as someone who doesn't like horror stuff or can't handle a lot of horror stuff, how are mm-hmm. you doing with our spooky month readings and conversations? That's a good question. I'm I'm doing fine. Um, so far, nothing too creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can do with like you know some of our our books. There are some that I'm just like mm, you know like I can't read them at night. Mm. Like some of the Immortal Hulk stuff, I remember being like can't read this at night. Too spooky. Yeah, because it just got creepy. Yeah. Well, we got a we got a good creepy one that we're going to get into later this episode. But before we even get into that, we got to get through all the other comics because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we run you through all the new comics on sale every week. We give three picks of the week. We also give out an award. This week's award. It's a tongue twister. We did it to ourselves and I have zero regrets. We're going to get into that (laughs) in a bit. Uh, We'll give out those awards. We'll tell you what's hitting the collections this week. What's on Marvel Unlimited, both the comics that have come out in the past three months and the new Infinity Comics, the exclusive scrolling digital comics you can only read on MU plus anything else that comes up. But yes, what is our reading club selection? We are talking about Night of the Living Deadpool, which is a short miniseries done by Cullen Bunn and art by Ramon Rosanas. And we're going to be talking to Jordan D. White, who edited the book way back when it was first dropping. A lot of fun insight. I didn't know there was like a little history behind the inspiration and the name of this comic. So it was really fun to talk to him about that. Yeah, really, really good. Great issue. Always fun to talk Deadpool with Jordan. I will say, before we even get into our picks of the week, this is one of those rare weeks where all three of our picks were kind of unanimous between the both of oh, us. Yes. That was good. This is this is exciting. Our first pick is Defenders Beyond, number four. We can't stop picking this book. It is so weird and so cool and so absolutely gorgeous and truly, truly heartbreaking uh, in every sense. Like this issue by writer Al Ewing, artist Javier Rodriguez, and letter of VCs Joe Caramagna opens with Blue Marvel in crosshairs. And it's wild. And then the, the narration for this issue is by America Chavez. Blue Marvel in the crosshairs and his dialogue says, a little life lesson for you, Mr. Oswald. One shot is all you get. And it like pans out to this scene where Blue Marvel has stopped the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And it's this like potential of what if this this mm-hmm. potential of if things took a different turn, maybe something that um, Blue Marvel would have wanted. And yeah. this actually ties into Blue Marvel's history. Uh, exactly. Just yeah, about to say that. Yeah, it ties it's, into it's, his history. Like, I highly recommend you read that miniseries. It's one of my all-time favorite things that we've put out in Marvel. But it it centers around this question of what if. It deals with a lot of race issues and a lot of, like, the baggage that Blue Marvel deals with today. I think the thing that struck me the most was, and Ryan, I know you're familiar with this, where you're always like, why can't we just have, like, you know, our characters be happy? And it's like, yeah. when you get that presented to you, you're like here is this possible like story and everything is fine and happy and everyone's, you know, got their happy ending, but then you realize what the cost is and you're just like, is it worth Mm. it? Like, uh, no, like you said, it's a gut punch. Yeah. We sort of then go 50 years ahead and there's this big party with all the Avengers and their friends. And it's an interesting thought about the time period because you've got Mm -hmm. Monica Rambeau here in her like original Captain Marvel outfit, Spider-Man in his black costume, but they're talking to Carol in her Captain Marvel outfit. Mm-hmm. 
and you've got Iron Man in his like 80s Secret Wars era outfit, Tigra in her like bikini period. There's a lot going on here, but the, you've got these these moments and Tigra is holding Mjolnir and then America Chavez comes in with her sister and they're wearing like these vibes on the old school Miss America costume. You get to see that like something is amiss. <sighs> the shot, the shot of Galactus, the mm. life bringer coming to the party where everybody is clapping and he's smiling and his mom is his herald. I I got to this party went no. Oh Don't no. Don't do this to me, Al. Don't do this oh, to me. Oh no. We get to see Glorian the antagonist here peel back and the colors change the tone changes and america chavez is actually wearing the infinity mask and, and this is sort of a dream and uh he's like america chavez can't you ever just be happy if you need something to fight look again and then this big huge splash page of a nightmarish galactus Terrifying. with an emaciated skullish face the colors are just bright purple and red and a little bit of blue and it's horrifying. It's phenomenal. If you're a comics fan, like you need to be reading this book. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Miracle Man number one, a.k.a. Legacy number issue number 23, which is such a cool thing to say because this story has been told already, but it's the beginning of this new arc that hasn't been concluded yet by this team. It is written by Neil Gaiman with art by Mark Buckingham, but also we have colors by Jordi Belair and letters by Todd Klein. It's so cool to be back in this world and have the continuation of the story that we've been, you know, following throughout the past couple of years. And this story is the next chapter. Um, it's the Silver Age story that uh, both Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham have been telling. We are 19 years ahead of the last story. We're still living in this utopia, but we get to see little moments where this world has evolved. One of the things that I love about this issue is it starts off with all these unrecognizable characters. It's just like a bunch of teen heroes and they're fighting and there's this giant Galactus style villain that they're fighting in a city and they're just destroying buildings uh, trying to defeat the villain. But as you continue the story, you start to recognize what is actually happening, um, where in this world we are, who these characters are. And it's, I love that kind of storytelling before we get to the core of the story, which is the fact that young Miracle Man is back. It is a fascinating take on a character being brought back. In this, we get a young Miracle Man revived from the dead. Um, and he right away encounters Miracle Man. And just, you know, similar to like what we see with Captain America, like he's got to catch up on everything that's happened in over 40 years. We have this person who's missed out on so much. They want to get caught up. But they come from the, this different mentality. Like things were different in the 80s. Things are a little awkward because there have been all these different civil rights movements that have passed and he just doesn't comprehend them. But also like learning about his fellow like friend, Kid Miracle Man, and all the stuff that have, has happened there and learning that his hero, Miracle Man, has killed him. Um, and as he's learning about all the stuff that Miracle Man has done while he was gone, he's comparing it to all the stuff that he's seeing today. So it's a very complex story it's a very fascinating like take in the next chapter of this this character and i cannot wait i cannot wait to keep getting more of these issues it's so fun to be like you know in a, a part of this history as we finally get to see how the chapter of the story concludes it's so wild all right on to our third pick of the week and we jasmine and i had this like reaction we were thinking about what's our third pick gonna be and then i was like what about star wars darth vader and yes. Jasmine was like, yes, that is exactly the one we should pick. Uh, Star Wars Darth Vader number 28. So damn good. It is written by Greg Pak, art by Rafael Ienko, colors by Carlos Lopez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as in touch with the, the larger Star Wars fandom. But from my limited perspective on things, it feels like Star Wars Darth Vader comes in a little under the radar for some people. It's not the Star mm -hmm. Wars book, and we've had a bunch of really great Star Wars Darth Vader books. But this title, this issue, this series, issue in and issue out, continues to be so great. The artwork that Raphael is doing in here, there's moments in here where it looks a little bit like Richard Corbin art. 
um, who was an amazing artist in the 70s, 80s, into the 90s and 2000s. He did um, our Marvel Max Cage book. But uh, there's like this level of detail and weirdness. He did, um, I think he did Punisher the End as well. Anyway, um, there's bits of that in here. There's deep emotional stuff. It opens up with... Emotional whiplash? Yeah. But Vader is, he could be killed. You have Vader at someone's mercy and a level of fear that is running through his mind. And then you, you get past that and you see this shot and his eyes, the clo- the extreme close up on Vader's eyes. There's two panels. You can tell that they're the same, but they look so different and there's a motion that's going through them. It is exceptional stuff. And then we're following Vader who is going through, as Jasmine said, this emotional whiplash of fear and anger and almost a little bit of hope. And like he's working with one yeah. of Padme's handmaidens, Sabe. But her presence is like truly messing him up. He's torn up and he's trying to like get himself together. There's a great shot of him walking on the like the super destroyer and little mouse droid is like, it's, it's running away from mm-hmm. him and his dear presence. And she's just like, look, you made me a commander an advisor. I'm here to serve. And then he clicks off the the holder on his lightsaber and the look of absolute abject terror on her face and then the next shot he he the next page you turn he's already turned around he's walked away and uh she the the way that she's standing there she's got her hand over her heart like she just had a heart attack but then she's like back into it there's so much drama and movement through all this um so much excitement while still being a very controlled and exceptionally tense storyline. But so it really, tense. it like it's so tense, but it, then it gets to a point where Vader and Sabe go to the Emperor because mm-hmm. she's like, yo, he's the problem. Let's yes. go. And then they get there, and then the Emperor is like, oh, you thought that you were bringing him to me? Actually, he was bringing you to me. The way that Sabe, like she maneuvers both re- like literally and metaphorically around mm-hmm. the emperor. And the way that Greg writes the emperor, you can you hear his voice so profoundly. And Vader is sort of like in this issue at a certain point, he's just this thing that others are moving around, which is a lot of the way that he is in Star Wars. Like he's this force and so much sort of reflects off of him and bounces against him and revolves around him. Um, But when you get the Emperor and Sabe, I could have taken a whole book of just the two of them. And then we get to that last page. It's like we've been in this giant house, right? And we've been going through all these doors and finding all these wild things. And we're like, all right, we've explored all of it. This is bananas. And then yeah. you look and there's a whole new whole door. House. And, like there's a whole other house yeah. in this house. And you're like, no, what? You get it. <laughs> you open that door and you're like, well, well, damn it. Damn it. What's what's next? It's great. All right. Those are our picks of the week. But it is time to get into our community section and our awards. Jasmine, what was last week's award? Yes. So last week's award was the Let's catch up, evil stepmom. Um, and that came from Immortal X-Men number seven. Jasmine, where is mm-hmm. your German accent? Nightcrawler-ish to say that line? It does not exist. Just like oh, the limit. It doesn't exist. Oh. Let's catch up, evil stepmom. Perfect. Beautiful. Perfect. That was actually me. Yeah. If you couldn't tell, Kurt- listener. I could feel like Kurt Wagner was here with us. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. My my years of taking German have paid off uh, with all the weird German phrases rattling around in my head, like Dummkampf and more. Uh, but you could have just made a... that up and I would have never have known. It means dumb head. It's great. Oh, OK. Dummkampf. <laughs> uh, anyway, let us roll on because we do have a winner for last week. It was Richard Lee. Lee. Richard Lee. Lehi, I don't know. Richard, you didn't put a pronunciation of your last name in your email, so we're guessing here it is not a name I've ever seen before. Sorry if you butchered it. 
Yeah. But anyway, Richard's email reads, Hey, Ryan and Jasmine, I just wanted to tell you what an amazing job you are doing. Out of all the Marvel pods, yours is my favorite. You both have Take the that, best Wim. voices. All right. All right. You have the best voices to listen to on any podcast in the multiverse. I look forward each week, not just for my comics, but for this pod, too. Because of your podcast, I'm diving into Marvel so much more. I blame you both for me being on the Marvel app now. JK. My life is officially consumed with physical and digital comics 24-7, and I have you both to thank. Oh, and I'd love to give my comic shop Mountaintop Comics and Collectibles in Cookville, Tennessee, a shout out. I've been going there for more than 10 years now. The owner, Michael, treats each customer not just as a comic fan, but as an actual human. He gets to know his customers and connects with each and every one of us. I've made some great friendships there and had the best all around chats and not just about comics. Can't wait for future episodes and P.S., Ryan, it's such an inspiration to see you be a dad who loves comics and rocks at being a dad. I hope when I have a kid, I can balance the two as well. Oh, Richard. What a lovely note. So sweet. I I really appreciate that. And also, our first Tennessee United States of Pullist listener write in. It's amazing. I love it. I love having a Tennessee fill-in now. This is great. We're we're taking uh... over the United States. Shout out to uh, Mountaintop Comics and Collectibles in Cookville. Hopefully, hopefully y'all hear this and enjoy that. Now, here's something interesting, Jasmine. While Richard gets to be our winner, it was actually someone who was slightly before Richard on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And it comes from Max Lorem at my own underscore voice, who said, I was a bit afraid when I saw everything that was published this week, but when I started listening to the podcast, I thought, an issue about Nightcrawler, Mystique, and Destiny? Where else to find an evil stepmom? (laughs) Thinking emoji. And indeed, there it was. But the tweet has disappeared. It shows up in my tweet deck, and it shows, like, I I had it, but I don't find, it's weird. If I click the link for it, it's gone. So, Max, you kind of won, but you kind of didn't win. It was a he did say it was okay to read, though, which is the most important. He did. Okay, good. I This is very on brand for our spooky season, so I'm here for it. <laughs> a disappearing tweet. Ooh, it was a ghost uh, tweet. Uh, but it is time to learn about this week's award name. Jasmine, what do we got? This week's award name is the Bare Nooks and the Old Hellfire Humdinger Award. What a mouthful. Hell yeah. So good. So good. So good. <laughs> Um, and of course, if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent Diamond at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's poll list or email us at poll list at Marvel.com. If you're among the first, I don't know, keep your emails open and your DMs open and we'll maybe I'll send you something fun. Uh, and also make sure it's Marvel's poll list with the plural with the S in there. Not like our friend Steve at Viking Prince, who I saw at Comic-Con, met his family. Wonderful, wonderful folks. Tagged Aww. me in a photo from comic-con used hashtag marvel pull list come on steve come on come on you know better than that come on all right again a reminder this week's award name is bare nooks and the old hellfire humdinger you gotta find that uh in the books this week so if you find that quote screen cap it and tweet it to at agent m and at jasmiest with hashtag marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at marvel.com if you're among the first Watch your inboxes or your DMs or whatever, and I'll send you something cool. All right, I'll kick things off this week, starting with Alien number two, and I'm going to give my Bare Nucks and the Old Hellfire Humdinger Award to, even though this is a comic book, I can hear the clicking in this issue because of the way that it's set up and presented from the aliens. It starts off as like a small little like lettering thing, but as the the characters in this book start to discover what's happening, you can like hear the clicks that the aliens make in your head. And it is terrifying. Um, one of my favorite things about these aliens. I love this issue. I love the storyline. It's really good. Uh, all right. On to Avengers number 61. I can't believe we're getting close to the end of Jason Aaron's run. No. On Avengers. I don't want it to end, especially when you got books like this. Tons of multiversal versions of characters or like time displaced versions of characters. It focuses on the star brand character, Brandy. Heartbreaker. Heartbreaker. But I will give my bare nucks and the old Hellfire Humdinger Award to the fact that this issue brings back one of my all time favorite Marvel characters. My favorite Ghost Rider. 
One of my favorite creations by one Mr. Jason Aaron. Yes, we're talking about Knuckles O'Shaughnessy, the uh, 1920s Ghost Rider character. I love love him so much. I'm so glad. I didn't know he was going to show up again. It brought me such joy. I'm glad it brought you joy. Thank you. Something else that brought me joy this week was Captain America Symbol of Truth number six. And I'm going to give my Bare Nucks and the Old Hellfire Humdinger Award to the politics of this book. Um, because Tochi is going in places that like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of writers would be afraid to touch. Um, he's, he's touching on a lot of political issues that have happened with the fallout of apartheid, um, which I think is something that people pretend doesn't exist, but it very much does exist. Like it, it wasn't just like apartheid ended one day and everything went back to normal. It's like people still have to suffer with these consequences. And the way he, he's tackling them here is, is very interesting. It's making for a really good political thriller if you're into that. So highly recommend it. All right. We've got Carnage number seven this week is just gross. I'm going to give my bare knucks and the old Hellfire <laughs> Humdinger award to the thing that Carnage does to Malekith. Kiss him? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of. Kind, you're not far <laughs> off. You're not far off. All right, next up, we're gonna we're gonna be talking to Jordan about this in a little bit. But the next up is Crypt of Shadows number one, which if you are looking to get into more of these creepy characters like Werewolf by Night, Elsa Bloodstone, um, we have Man Thing. Highly recommend this issue because you get a taste of a little bit of every corner of that creepy Marvel monster world. I'm gonna give my Bare Nucks and the Old Hellfire Humdinger Award to one of my favorite stories that has come out of this book and like out of this entire creepy month, which is a man thing and Wolverine story, which is written and drawn by Adam Warren because he does not hold back on this story. And it's like a story that I never knew I wanted, but like, I want a whole book of this because it's so good. And the art is fantastic. Giving very, you know, twilight zone like vibes, Mm. which I think is, I love that stuff. Uh, We're getting into a bit more about this story and that issue with Jordan White later in the episode so stay tuned for that uh we've got deadly neighborhood spider-man number one out this week and uh i'm gonna give my bare knucks and the old hellfire humdinger to juan Ferreira. just what are you even doing we've talked extensively Insane. about juan's art over the last couple of years but this book looks unlike anything else we publish it's it nuts is weird and cool and spooky um taboo and b earl doing some cool stuff bringing in some characters and and putting peter in los angeles it's cool it changes things up and then you let Juan just go bananas i feel like that's what they told him they were like you know what just do whatever you want to do because some of these things are just bonkers ideas go they big work, fam and and then so it goes good. big all right, next up we have Iron Man number 24, and I'm going to give my Bare Nucks and the Old Hellfire Humdinger Award to Cobalt Man, who really sticks it yeah. to Iron Man in this issue, which mm-hmm. was just so good. Nothing like Iron Man getting a taste of his own medicine. Hell yeah. All right, on to Midnight Suns number two. One thing I want to note, you know, sometimes we talk about variant covers here, and I know some of our listeners will, will they go, you all go check out variant covers. There's an Isad Rabich variant cover for this, which is just three of the characters, Blade, Wolverine, and Magic, hanging out on a rooftop and like looking around. It's so dynamic and so cool. Any new piece of art we get from Isad makes me happy, happy. But I will say my Bare Nucks and the old Hellfire Humdinger Award goes to just this squad. This Midnight Suns team here has got a fun dynamic. They are not fully gelling yet as a squad because they're just, they're not an official team yet. They're working through each other's things, but they're trying. They're trying. And I like seeing how some have to raise others up. There's some stuff in here where magic is just, uh, is just magic. And then she's got Blade with her and you got Kushala. It's great. All right, next up is Moon Knight number 16, and I'm going to give my Bare Knuckles and the Old Hellfire Humdinger Award to Lady Yulan, who is a new character that's introduced in this book. I just love everything about her. She's a vampire, and she's leading a vampire gang, essentially, in Chinatown in New York City. And the way she presents herself, the, the cool and calm collectiveness that she just carries 
it's just fun because what happens is we get to see a confrontation between her and Mr. Knight. And Mr. Knight is pretty much coming in to like take care of business. And she's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down. Like, nice outfit, by the way, but chill. Like, let's let's talk this thing out. And let me tell you what's actually happening here. Like you need, I think we're on the same side. And her design is so just cool. It's, you know, very fashion forward. And I gotta give it up to Alessandro Capuccio because I mean, Jed McKay is killing it on the writing and I want to see more. And I'm really excited to see where she goes next. We've got Predator number three this week. I love me this Predator series. Uh, it's just one woman against all the Predators. She's killed like 23 of them, I think, at this point in the storyline. It, it's rad. Uh, but I will give my bare knucks and the old Hellfire Humdinger Award to her line after the fight with the, the first Predator she encounters in this issue. But next issue, she's got a lot more ahead. Yeah. And it's good. All right. Next up, we have. Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, issue number four. And this issue does one of my favorite like types of stories where it's like, let's get all these people together in a room and have them duke it out, essentially. Um, but it's very much like an arcade-esque type game. And the characters that are brought into this face-off are a lot of deep cuts from Shang-Chi's past. I got to give my Bare Nucks and the old Hellfire Humdinger Award to Jean Luen Yang because this is just fun. Up next is Thor number 28. This is another one that is scripted by Al Ewing with a plot by Al and uh, Donnie. And it feels just like the two of them high-fiving over what they're getting to do because I'm going to give my bare knucks on the old Hellfire Humdinger Award to the peanut butter and chocolate mashup that is The God in Black. Um, And just this big splash page of Thor with with eddie brock's venom symbiote wrapped around him i'm just gonna say it it's it's big it's uh it's big and it's fun. gnarly all right this one could have also been one of our picks of the week but mm-hmm. next up we have x-force number 33 and it's the conclusion to the small arc uh that we've been following during the axe judgment series that follows craven the hunter as he tries to take down krakoa um at this point he's made wolverine his number one target he's like you know if i'm going to be judged by anything it's going to be by taking down the biggest, baddest person I can think of, and it's Wolverine. Along the way, he encounters Red Omega Red, Beast, Deadpool, and Sage, and hilarity ensues. It's great. This is what I'm going to give my Bare Nucks and the old Hellfire Humdinger Award to, because there's a moment where he asks Wolverine to pick him up, and he's like, uppity. And Wolverine just carries him around like a little baby, and it's so funny. And like Ben Percy is just having a blast writing Deadpool, and I love it. All right, last new book of the week is X-Men number 16, and there is a thing in this issue that we are not going to spoil, but it's a big old deal. Y'all you'll have to check it out. We'll get into it. You'll see it. X-Twitter, you're going to go blah, 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 but I'm going to give my Bare Nucks and the old Hellfire Humdinger Award to my favorite new duo, Caliban and Forge. It's... Very upsetting for me as a fan of Caliban's and a fan of Forges, but I get it. And like, there's a, you start to build a little dynamic here with them and um, I'm super into it. It's also one of the wildest designs we have right now. Josh Kassara, I hope you're the one who designed this because you're a freaking madman. Okay, it is time now for the collections. We got a whole lot on sale, bunch of omnibuses, uh, some Black Panther by Tanahasi Coates and more, Young Avengers by Heinberg and Chung, uh, and stuff like that. But I wanted to point out Avengers by Jason Aaron, Volume 3, good stuff. Star Wars Darth Vader by Greg Pak, Volume 4, really great stuff. We talked about that uh, at length. It's one of our picks, so you should check that out and know why we're uh, we're so hyped on it. Uh, but very in particular, Miracle Man by Gaiman and Buckingham, book one, The Golden Age. The first three collections have been out for a while, so now we're getting a new collection of Miracle Man by uh, Gaiman and Buckingham to go along with The Silver Age. It's great. Great timing. Yeah, I can't wait. Over on Infinity Comics, we have a bunch of stuff hitting the MU app. We have X-Men Unlimited, Infinity Comic number 57, Avengers Unlimited number 16, Spider-Verse Unlimited Infinity Comic number 20, Marvel's Voices, Nova Infinity Comic number 21, which is secretly a Viv Vision story by Terry Bloss. I love it. Thank you, Terry, for giving us new Viv. And we also have Love Unlimited, X Loves a Wolverine, Infinity Comic 20, and It's Jeff, Infinity Comic number 18. 
It's Jeff. It's Jeff. All right. Over on to Marvel Unlimited. Get ready because Axe is on its way to MU. We've got Axe Eve of Judgment, the sort of prelude issue to the entire big summer crossover event. So that is hitting Marvel Unlimited this week, which means for the next couple of months, you're going to get lots of new Axe stuff. If you've been waiting for it to hit MU, the time is now. We're getting that. Uh, New issues of Moon Knight, Fantastic Four, Captain Marvel, and many, many more. Check out the full list for Marvel Unlimited over on Marvel.com. And there's also a bunch of 70s Ghost Rider in there. So check those out, too. All right. That's it for all of our books coming out this week. Now we're going to talk to Jordan D. White about Night of the Living Deadpool over in this week's Reading Club. All right, I hope everybody's loaded up on chimichangas because we are going to get into Night of the Living Deadpool, which is exactly how the story begins for our intrepid hero. But before we start talking about that, we are going to welcome the editor of that series and editor of so many freaking great comics over the years, Jordan D. White. Hello, Jordan. Hi. Oh, thank you for the kind words. It's it's a pleasure to work on comics. I'm always happy to to work on books, especially when people like them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like this one. It was really good. It was really short, um, but it was great for like people who are fans of zombie stories, people who are fans of like the spooky stuff. I mean, this is our spooky themed month. Usually when people come on the show, they pick like the core horror Marvel characters, right? So like we've had things like the Darkhold, we did some Blade, Doctor Strange, and then you were like Deadpool. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know about this series. Oh, can you tell us a little bit about where the story came from, Jordan? Sure. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I've worked on a lot of Deadpool. I mean, and I love it. I love all the Deadpool I've done. So I, I'm always happy to revisit it. And that's, that's part of why I picked it. But as for where this came from, we were in a time when we always had a Deadpool miniseries going. That's when we, we did uh, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe and we did Deadpool Illustrated and we did Deadpool Kills Deadpool and we did Deadpool versus Carnage. And we did like, I could go on for a while. We did a whole bunch of them. And so I was always having to come up with something to do another one. What's the next one we're going to do? How, oh man, what crazy nonsense are we going to do next? And the origin of this one then was Cullen Bunn was writing a lot of these for me and I was talking to Cullen about it. And the original idea was, I don't know if you know this, but there's a copyright problem with the original Night of the Living Dead. It's something about, if I, my understanding, I'm not a hundred percent on it, but I believe it's that in the year that it was made, the, the law stated you actually had to put the copyright on the film. And if they literally did not have the written words on there, it was it, the copyright didn't apply. So if you have a, a copy of the Night of the Living Dead film on film, you can do with it whatever you want. That's why there were a million different Blu-rays and DVDs of it, because people just would get the film and go, now, great, now I can put the movie out. So it was um, in the public domain, essentially. It was in the public domain, uh, as That's far wild. as we are aware. So I, originally, the first concept was, Hey, wait a minute. Let's just do Night of the Living Dead and put Deadpool in it. Like, let's literally draw the film. Now, the legal department didn't like that idea as much (laughs) as we did. (laughs) We ended up sticking with the general concept of Deadpool and zombies, but Cullen came up with an original Deadpool zombie story, and it's so fun. He was very good at uh, writing Deadpool, being funny, but still being able to write like a serious story too. And mm-hmm. so there's moments in here that are really uh, unpleasant <laughs> because it was inspired by the night of the living dead idea with, and also, you know, the black and white thing is in the, in the air about zombies because the walking dead, which was a yeah. very oh. famous zombie comic and it was in never black heard and white. of it. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's there's it, some it great Walking Dead radar. gags throughout it too. Like, exactly. Oh, yes. Exactly. Very the, Deadpool tongue in cheek vibe. So yeah, that's why we decided to keep the idea of, well, we'll still do it in black and white, but have Deadpool in color. And we reached out to the artist, Ramon Rosanis, who I had worked on really, really long time listeners of this show will will remember that he he drew part of Age of the Century, which we talked about a long time ago, Ryan, you and I. Yep. He's got such clean lines. It's it, He does. He's so perfect for that. But then he lo- you look at this and he's so perfect for this to really depict... All the detailed 
horror. Like yeah. you can see teeth so well in his art because <laughs> his lines are so clean. It, I'm not even joking. I was reading it on MU on Marvel Unlimited this morning. I was like, every little detail is so perfectly depicted because he's so meticulous. It's great. Absolutely. And he did the full art on this. He did the 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 gray tones and the colors and everything. Um and it turned out absolutely amazing. It turned out amazing. I mean he's 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 really great at details. I mean obviously he's been doing a ton of great Star Wars work recently and it looks perfect. He's he's great at likenesses. He's great at at cap- capturing all that stuff. So we were thrilled to have him on board. And that's that's the uh, the origin of it. What I wanted to ask was like we were talking a lot about the details and like was there anything you weren't allowed to do? Because like you could have gotten really, really gross if you wanted to here. Well, here's so here's the thing. You guys we, did. I mean, yeah, we always keep Deadpool, or at least in whenever I'm doing Deadpool, I always try to keep Deadpool at parental advisory level because, well, I he gets himself into mature situations all the time, and I generally think he's not for the youngest of kids. Yeah. Um, and and again. When I was on the books before, and I'm I'm back on Deadpool again in the book that's about to come out, the the Alyssa Wong series is back under my under my editorial hand. Um, so excited! But whenever I would see people at conventions and they were t- and they were kids, and I would say, "No, you shouldn't be reading this book to children." Children would be like, "Oh, I love this!" It's like, "No, you really should not love this." Um, but at any rate, we so we because we kept it relatively in one of the higher ratings that Marvel is willing to do, we didn't really have any trouble on this and probably we still would have been okay if it was full color. Cause we, honestly, we back then anyway, we did stuff that was pretty gory in Deadpool. <laughs> pretty, <laughs> pretty amazingly gory. This is kind of a side story, but it is one that I find kind of funny, which is that in, uh, in Deadpool number two, the Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn series, there's a, page where Deadpool gets impaled by an elephant. It's extremely graphic, like intestines wrapped around a tusk, like super graphic. And on the week that it came, went to press, uh, I got in trouble for it. I got in trouble because it was too graphic. And Axel Alonso, who was the editor-in-chief at the time, was very unhappy that, about it. In the end, he ended up saying, well, you know what, like for this reason, this reason, and that reason, it's okay. And we, we let it go through. Um, but very humorously to me anyway, Shortly thereafter, that image was used in a, I think it was back when MTV Geek was a thing, used in an interview with Jerry and Brian, and they used that image. And then Marvel, at the Marvel booth of San Diego, played that interview on the giant screen on a loop every 30 minutes. So the giant image that got me in trouble because it was too gory (laughs) was huge for every single person at Comic-Con to see. On the hour, uh, which was super fun. Anyway, uh, side note. <laughs> so, so there are times when I can get away with more, and times when I can get away with less. Yeah, I love how I you ask know. that question, but like I've seen what you guys have done to Banshee in that office, and <laughs> you guys it's, can get pretty, pretty gross sometimes. Sometimes it was a great. Sometimes like, comics should be gross. Um, so, you know, I hadn't even thought about the sort of the the black and white to hide the gore aspect because. To me, I just looked at this as such a stylistic, fun, clever choice to tell this story. And I like I was in on that that gag, both from the Night of the Living Dead aspect to the Walking Dead aspect. I thought like that was so effective in showing this world and giving a tone. And when you have Deadpool with this giant color pop outside of that and then how it at times things change because mm-hmm. of story. like yeah i thought everything about that was so effective and it was just smart storytelling more than anything else i thought the whole team really crushed it on on making those decisions so kudos to you guys it was great thank you yeah no i i really liked it i'm i'm flipping through it as we talk and like yeah here's definitely i'm looking at one where it's a zombie so you also get away with more if it's not like a person even though zombies are semi people, but there's a shot here where somebody's brains are totally getting blown out, and it is pretty. Yeah. It's like if that was in color, I don't know. I'm not. I'm really not sure if we would show it. Yeah, in it all could, its it, red and pink. It it may have had to have been a Max book at that point. It, fair enough. And we weren't say, doing hard to say that many Max books at the at that point. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to talk about too was like, I mean, when when you brought this to us, uh, one, I'm curious why you chose this one over some other some of the other ones that you suggested. I feel like oftentimes like the zombie like story, like the trope, like there's just so many zombie stories out there. And I was very mm. impressed with this one 
and how it played with the that like type of world and like each issue felt like an episode of like television where it's like oh this is the one where this happens this is the one where Mm -hmm. that happens and it felt consistent and i really enjoyed it and and i'm curious like was that something going into it that like you guys were were actively trying to avoid like trying to avoid some of those tropes um from zombie stuff yeah i think so i mean obviously cullen could speak to it and probably has slightly different thoughts but for my part i am a big horror movie fan and when i discovered zombie movies i i really don't mean to sound like a hipster, but when I discovered zombie movies, it was before there was 20,000 zombie movies every year. Um, It was before, you know, I mean, I don't know. It was before the remake of Dawn of the Dead, you know, so there weren't fast zombies. Like I was really into the original Romero ones. When Shaun of the Dead came out, obviously that was such a huge deal. That was so, so fun because it was clearly loved zombie movies. It wasn't just like paying them lip service. It was like, no, they got, they got it. That's really great. And as, over time, and Walking Dead, the comic, I, I really have loved the comic since the beginning. Like, I've, I read every issue of it. I, it's a great, great series. Um, that said, I feel like there was a bit of zombie uh, overkill. Wow, that's not what I meant to <laughs> go to. Fatigue. But yes, there was definitely some zombie fatigue that happened where it's like there are so many zombie projects that it's like, right. oh, how – like, you can't just be a fan of zombie stuff anymore. It's like – that's too much. Um, and I think Cullen knows all that stuff really well, knows the series really well as well. So when we started talking about it, we talked about what what we liked about them and what what made them really work for us. And I think, again, he he's able to write in a way that is knowing about these things and and able to understand why they work in the first place and still make them work. I mean, so his the zombies in this are a little different. Uh, this, I believe, this is wholly his idea. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen this anywhere else. That the idea that they talk and that, but that them talking is like a symptom of the brain not fully being dead yet. Yeah. That they, their personalities are still there, but they can't control anything. So the zombies yeah. are apologizing all the time and saying They're how like terrible vessel. this is. Yeah. Yeah. That they, that they feel awful that they're going to like telling people to run away. And it's, it's, it's really unpleasant. It's, <laughs> it's terrifying. It's great. <laughs> it adds to the, the dread of the, of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was Absolutely. like, I don't like that. That's creepy. Gross. Absolutely. And then you combine that with the fact that, like I said, this is, it's not a comedy to spoil Shaun of the Dead for a moment. Like Shaun of the Dead <laughs> is first and foremost a comedy, right? Yeah. And part of the way you can tell is that it has a pretty happy ending. <laughs> like across the, I mean, bad things happen, don't get me wrong. But on the whole, it's got a happy ending. Most zombie horror is not about that. Like it, it, the best you can hope for is a we're not dead yet and maybe we have a chance, right? Like typically that's the kind of thing that you get left with. And this doesn't shy away from that, even though it's a Deadpool story. Like Deadpool is a funny character and ostensibly a hero most of the time, but that doesn't mean things go well. At the end of issue two, when, I mean, we're just talking about it, right? I'm just going to yeah, say it. Yeah, we can spoil when he, it. When he has to kill the kids. That was the awful. kids turn into zombies. It's like. You don't, I don't, like, I did not see that coming when he wrote that. Like, it's like, no, obviously he sees these kids through. Oh, he doesn't. Right. Oh. Um, and then he finds a town, an entire town that is safe. And it's like, well, this is going to be okay. No, it's not. It's not going to be okay. He's going to be kind of responsible for them all dying. And then he gets some redemption by the end, even though, again, spoiler, this is all his fault in the first place. Kind of yeah. like not quite. It's connected to him, but it's not like he did it, but it's his powers that are making everything like this in the first place. It's it's a really dark and depressing story. And I and I like this is I'm going to give away a secret of Deadpool if if you want. Um, one of the things that I think is important to keep in mind in Deadpool and when you're making Deadpool comics is that. And it's not always true. Sometimes you can get away with with bending this rule. But for the most part, Deadpool is funny, but the world isn't. Funny things happen in the world, of course, and just like in the real world. But Deadpool, the best Deadpool comics, in my opinion, don't take place in joke world. They take place in a relatively straightforward world where Deadpool is silly and funny. And this is 100% the case here. This is a serious zombie world where everything is awful, but Deadpool is funny and Deadpool gets into some silly 
moments and then also some horrifying moments, like we said. So yeah, I think it taps into that really, really well. He, well, there's that. he is the humor. No, it's just, he is the humor, but the world is not funny at all. <laughs> right. One aspect I want to talk about are the covers. Um, oh yeah. Those were fun covers. The covers by designer artist Jay Shaw and Jay's work. I absolutely adore. And so I, if you go to it's um, kingdomofnonsense.com, they have a great way to explore some of the covers. Like I'm a huge John Carpenter fan and Jay has designed the covers for some of John Carpenter's recent releases, his musical releases. And those are, those are super cool, but he does great work for uh, movies and, and music. Uh, but his comics work is relatively limited. Like most of it is for you, Jordan. And uh, how did you end up even linking up with Jay to do these very striking, very iconic covers? Well, I believe that he came to the attention of folks at Marvel, if I remember correctly, because he was doing work at Mondo. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And so there was a time when we were like looking at cool Mondo <laughs> artists and going, let's 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 see if we can get these guys in. Now, obviously, uh, I mean, they work so well for this series. I think for the most part, if you look at them, you can kind of understand why He's not doing a ton of work for Marvel in the sense that they're not what you think of as traditional Marvel covers, for sure. They look much more like horror movie posters, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's what we wanted for this. We very much were like, let's make these look like horror posters. Um, And he nailed it, uh, both on this and the next series. One of the fun things about these, I think we just did this in the bullpen. I don't think he did this for us, but we did second printings for all these issues. What we did for the second printing treatment was we made the covers look like they had been folded up old movie posters. So we like like put a little wear on them and, and put the like folds across it. And it looks, uh, it looks really cool. Like, honestly, it almost to the way to the degree that I'm like, I kind of like it better that way. Like I want them to look more (laughs) like, like old uh, movie posters. Um, But yeah, it turned out really fun. We kind of talked a little bit about the homages that it does with other horror movies or comics. I got a kick out of half of them. Like, I mean, the ones that I recognized right away, because mm-hmm. then later on, I went and started doing like a deep dive of trying to figure out like where certain things came from. But the scene where, where Deadpool is trying to find shelter and then he yeah. he finds all these different locations, all of which have been like iconic set pieces for other zombie movies or comics. And it was so funny for him to be like, no, not that one. Like a prison? No. Uh, a mall? No, thank you. Like, it was just, it was so good. And like, it was little moments like that, that I think really made it feel special. Oh yeah. Zom- Zombie land. I forgot. That's Zombieland, another one. Zombie land. Yes. Because yep. then I he talks about, about the one. amusement park. Yep. He's like, not if there's no cotton candy and funnel cake, <laughs> which is like valid. <laughs> Absolutely. No, again, uh, Colin knows his stuff. Jordan, you mentioned at this point we were doing, you know, you know, lots of Deadpool. We had the limited series mm-hmm. that were constantly going on, but it's also a time period where we're in Marvel now. And I was yeah. looking at what other books were coming out at the time, um, the same month as this, because this came, the first issue released in January of 2014. Um, okay. We had all new Marvel Now Point One, number one. We had <laughs> okay. uh, launches of all new Invaders. We had all new X-Factor. We had oh. um, all new X-Men had already been going on for a while. Avengers World launches here. We've got a new Black Widow series launching at the same time. There, um, you're 22 issues into Deadpool at this point. George Romero's Empire of the Dead, Act One, launches then. We had a new Guardians of the Galaxy series launching this month. Uh, Miracle Man, we we started reprint our reprints of Miracle Man <laughs> the same wow. month there. So those were happening at the same time. Um, there's a ton of stuff that's going on at that point. You having how long have you been at Marvel now? Uh, 15 years. I hit. 16 years at the day before Halloween. It's, I just hit three years. That's awesome. Take that. Congratulations. That's well. You'll be at 15 before you know it. Yeah, before you know yeah. it. Do you have sort of a favorite time period in we have these little eras or does it sort of all just blur together because you're so busy getting the work done? I mean, to to some extent it blurs together, but to the extent that I see it in eras, I see it in eras of what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. The era of, well, I mean, the, that said, the era of Deadpool lasted a long time there because I, I worked on Deadpool from, I think, issue 30-something of Dan Way's run all the way through the end of Jerry's uh, run, which was, I think he did somewhere in the realm of 
almost a hundred issues in a row and not including all the side stuff that Jerry did. So, so it was a lot of issues. Um, while I did that, I did, I started and finished doing star Wars. I, I did guardians for a bit of time. I did, uh, you know, a lot of different things. So it's, I, I, I really just always, Wars. yeah, yeah. I did star Wars wow. for like, I don't know, three, four years, yeah. something like that when it started. I tend to view it always as through what I'm I'm working on, you know? So I I love the current era of X-Men because I'm working on it, right? So it'll always have a place in my heart. And in the same way that the um the schism era of Jason Aaron writing Wolverine and the X-Men and Kieran writing Uncanny X-Men, uh, I worked on that as an assistant editor, and that will always have a a place in my heart as well. Um, whereas some of the stuff in between that I didn't work on, I'm like, yeah, that was good too. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me as much because I, I really put all of my my heart into the the books I'm working on. Uh, I want to love them, and I do love them. I feel like that's a natural transition to some of the other stuff that we wanted to talk to you about today, which is uh, the Crypt of Shadows one shot that is coming out this week. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know. They, uh, CB said, does anybody want to do a Halloween one shot this year? And I jumped at it. I, you know, again, I love working on X-Men, but it's fun to stretch your legs and do something different every once in a while. And so this was a fun opportunity to go, let's do something that's directly horror themed and go for it. You know, we knew the kinds of horror type characters they wanted us to lean into, but we also, of course, were like, well, let's also keep it very marvelly by also teaming them up with some hero characters, some some more traditional hero characters. And as soon as the book was put in my office, I said to all of the, the editors working with me, Mark Basso, Sarah Brunstad, uh, Lauren uh, Morrow, who's my associate editor, let's all split this book up. I'll edit this one. You can edit that one. You can edit that one. And everybody kind of figured out what characters they wanted to do. And then uh, we also had the Blade's daughter story that, that came in a little bit later in the process, but was easy way early enough that we were e able to easily work it in. And then what I thought was really fun was I had the idea that if we divide the story up, this book up into, I think we did seven page stories or maybe eight page stories. I think there's seven page stories. We'll have enough room that we can do a frame story and do it like a traditional uh, horror host where we have like our version of a horror host giving an intro to every story. And we used the character of Victor Strange, who Al Ewing revamped to use in the Strange Tales Infinity comics. Mm -hmm. And we, I reached out to Al and said, do you want to write a frame story for this? And he said, yes. And what was fun about that was he wrote that after every other story was written. Like every other oh, story wow. in the book was written. And I gave him the scripts and said, here they are. Do what you will. <laughs> Figure out a way to make this work. And he went, okay, let's do it. If we do them in this order, then I'll, I'll write it like this. And I went, that's great. And to me, that was the big fun of it. Like trying to do something um, different. Al nailed it, as always. It looks terrific. Uh, and everybody was really happy about it. The other story that I edited in this one is the um, a story pairing up uh, two characters that I don't think anyone on earth would have expected to see pair up completely randomly. Uh, Wolverine, which is to say Laura, Laura Kinney Wolverine and Wolverine. man thing. I had no idea what this story was going to be. I reached out to one of my favorite creators, Adam Warren, who I work with. He actually emailed me uh, shortly before I asked him to do this saying like, it looks like we've done a project together every three years and it's been three years. So what do you got? <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that. Um, and uh, I said to him, "Well, I, we, I want to do a, a man thing story. W what do you What do you want to do?" And he came back to me pitching exactly what we got, and it's it's precisely the kind of uh, completely out of left field, uh, outside the box thinking that I expect from from Adam. He he always comes back with a story that's completely bananas and that I want desperately to see on paper. So good. Usually one of my favorite ones. Like the minute, like like you said, like it's it's an unlikely pairing. And I remember flipping through, and then when I got to that one, I was like, "Why is Wolverine in here? Like she's not a a horror character. I mean, I guess." And then as soon as you start reading, you're like, "Oh no, this is this is awesome, but also wild and horrifying to some degree, for sure." While you, we got you here talking, you mentioned you know working on all the X Men stuff right now. Uh, I had a really great New York Comic Con, great experiences seeing the fans again. 
I asked one fan who their favorite X-Men character was on stage. Mm-hmm. And they said sink. And I had another yeah. fan dressed That's up awesome. as uh, Bishop or two fans, one dressed up as Bishop, one dressed up as forge. And to me, I was like, we are in such a great space where, yeah, everybody's got their own fandoms and their own love, but like to be able to see fans who are fully, wholly being like, Sync is my favorite X-Men character. I am going to come mm-hmm. to this c- convention dressed as Forge at, like, and people will recognize that character. It's so cool. And I think part of it yeah. is because of, of the great work that all the creators are doing on elevating a wide array of amazing characters in, uh, in all the X-Books. Um, I don't want to say necessarily, hey, what X books are you excited about? But what characters are you excited about for you know fans to to experience and read and see over the next you know couple months or year or whatever? That's very interesting. Um, well, I mean, Sync is a really good one. Sync, I mean, the Jonathan Hickman uh was a fan of Generation X, and he just wanted to bring some of those characters to the forefront. And so him putting Sync in the um the Children of the Vault storyline that he wrote was so great and. As soon as he came back, Jerry uh, Duggan was like, well, I want to put him in in X-Men. And so I've, I've been thrilled with the amount that he's been able to to grow as a character and with the places that I know he is going to go in the future. So I, he he's terrific. Al Ewing has such a great handle on Storm in X-Men Red. And uh, so everything he writes with her is just absolute killer. And the Storm and the Brotherhood series uh, that he's writing for that is going to do wonders for her. In addition, he's going to be introducing a new character in there who I'm very excited about. I think we've also teased that Rasputin is coming back and not in Storm, but in uh, Sins of Sinister in general, which I'm really excited about. Rasputin is a cool character from Powers of Ten that has such an awesome look and was such a neat character for such a brief amount of time. We've all been bummed that she hasn't been back. Well, she will be back. How have you been surviving Exterminators? Oh, I love working on Exterminators. It's... It's so much fun. That is a book that Leah Williams pitched to us. It started as an like a really offhand idea that Jerry Duggan had of let's have Dazzler be a vampire hunter, which he actually did in Dead. But so he was like, I always said we should do another thing of that. And Leah was just like, well, that's a great idea, really. And Jerry was like, go for it, have it. And then she expanded that out into including in Jubilee and um, Boom Boom and then eventually Laura as well. And she just goes absolutely nuts on that series and nails it. Um, when we talked about that book way back when it first got conceived, uh, I think it was Jonathan Hickman who coined it Grindhouse of X. And we all loved that idea and that name so much. And we just leaned into it 100% that it is a crazy like faux exploitation series about these badass ladies going through a vicious time and fighting so and getting bloody and calling each other names. And it's, it's Look, just so we good. started the podcast with you talking about how you got in trouble with Deadpool's guts <laughs> showing. And I just want to know how many phone calls you've had to have with CB about this book, because I can only imagine. Oh, a few. I mean, so, I mean, issue one, there's a scene where they're just uh, ragging on Boom Boom real hard. Uh, and there's some language in there. We had to go, well, we're going to have to clear all this language. And I was thrilled to say it all cleared as is. That is not changed language. That is as we intended it and wrote it. And well, as Leah wrote it. And uh, yeah, I'm very thrilled. Jordan, thank you for joining us. This was awesome. It's been a pleasure. I hope everybody who read along enjoyed it. And I hope everybody checks out Crypt of Shadows because we had a really good time putting it together. Yeah, especially if you were a fan of Marvel Studios Werewolf by Night. I feel like this is a great place to get some more uh, Man-Thing and Werewolf by Night action. Thank you so much. Big thanks once again to Jordan D. White. You can find him at Crack0T on Twitter. (laughs) Crack0T on Instagram. I I believe that's still his his social handle. I think it is, yeah. Uh, it's always funny. Uh, but Jordan's the best. He's been at Marvel a long time. I'm glad so he came great. back on. I'm sure we'll have him on again, of course. Uh, go bug him about X-Men stuff. And then soon, about Deadpool stuff, which is great. Yeah. I can't wait for more new Deadpool. It's going to be so yeah. good. Yeah. All right. It is done. This is it. The time for us to say goodbye is now. So this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Pagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Kara McGurk-Allison. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. 
And Brad Barton is Marvel's Polis Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. And uh, he did a, uh, a film when he was in high school called Brad of the mm. Living Dead. And it was just him Ooh. eating nachos for 45 minutes. That's pretty spooky. Have I you ever watched him eat nachos? It's disgusting. It's disgusting. I know. It's, Don't uh, like uh, it. Yeah. Didn't help that it was in black and white either. Ooh, the chewing sounds. Ugh. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.